Welcome back, Zero to 60. I'm Bree. That's Matt. Uh, Matt, I want you to hear this interesting stat because of yesterday's game. I think Josh Dobbs, the experiment may be over for the Vikings because the Vikings and Raiders in a barn burner put up three points. 80% of the bets were on the over at 40 and a half. The final obviously was three zero zero to 60 is sponsored by bet online. The last of the major pro sports leagues is off and rolling. And college basketball is on its way as well. But online remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contest needs. NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. And Bet Online is your number one source for all wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport, is available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head on over to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code, that's B L E A V, for your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online is where the game starts. We'll jump into NFL action in a little bit, but we got to talk about the Heisman finalists, Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Mike Phoenix. Phoenix and Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. may be one of the best athletes we've seen of all time, but Daniels ends up winning it, transferred from ASU in 2022, finishing his senior season at LSU with uh, 3,800 passing yards, 40 touchdowns, four interceptions, while adding 1,100 rushing yards and an additional 10 touchdowns on the ground. To me, that's a Heisman-worthy season. Matt, how do you feel about the result? Uh, first of all, happy Monday to everybody out there. I hope your weekend was fantastic. Uh, we're rolling here on zero to sixty. I, I'm torn on this, man. I, uh, I'm not sitting here saying Jaden Daniels doesn't deserve to have a trophy. He does. He had an unbelievably good season last year at LSU. He had an unbelievably good season. Uh, they ended up winning the West. They lost in the SEC title game to Georgia. They got beat by Florida State last year. They got beat by Florida State this year. Um, I. Look at this the same way, but he's not as good as I did with Robert Griffin the third one at Baylor and when, when Lamar Jackson won at Louisville, where the two teams aren't really playing for anything. They had great seasons, but not fantastic ones. They're not playing for national titles. They're not in the playoff. They're not playing for the, for the Natty uh, or even conference titles, per se, but their numbers were just insane. You know, Robert Griffin III lost two or three games, but had the Heisman moment against Oklahoma. Uh, you know, Lamar Jackson, they lost two or three games his senior, junior year, I think. But his Heisman moment was in a loss at Death Valley against Clemson. Uh, I don't, Jaden Daniels' Heisman moment is eight touchdowns this year, but I can't even remember who they played. Um, and at the same time, when you've got, I think Bo Nix would have won the award if, if Oregon could figure out how to beat Washington once this year. Um, I think Michael Penix probably should have won it. He was my pick. Uh, undefeated, you know, quarterback of a, a conference champion. He had a great year. Not a, not a fantastic one, but a great year. And then, honestly, Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best player in the world. Uh, at the college level, $25 million NIL deal. He's potentially getting to go back to Ohio State. So the, uh, the Heisman's cool. It's a pencil neck award. You know, the, the Remington didn't go to my guy, Greg Nugent. He finished second. Uh, the center of Oregon ended up winning the, the center award this weekend. So, you know, we had some guys up for some awards, but Drake finished second. A great season for uh, the Michigan center, Drake Nugent, as they prepare for Alabama. So it's a pencil neck award, the Heisman. Uh, but it's cool. There's a lot of allure with it, a lot of love, a lot of eyes. Um, I personally would have gone another route, but I'm not going to sit here and hate on the kid. He... He definitely earned it. His numbers are nuts. 
the numbers are what I wanted to highlight here because I think you make an interesting point as it isn't as memorable as maybe some other splashy players have been. Is it a lot like the Hall of Fame conversation where you're not necessarily resting so much on long-term stats of a career, but more of what presses the narrative in football in general? Uh, I'm going to say yes and I don't know if there's a right way to answer that question. I think that everything is eye test, but then also, you know, it's all, it's being voted on. So there's going to be people that get into the hall of fame that you go, well, I don't know how this guy got in, but somebody voted for him. Same way with the Heisman. I don't know how, you know, Daniels won the Heisman over these other three guys, but you know, obviously the voters saw something that maybe we didn't see. So it's all subjective. Um, there's no like, it, it's one of my problems with college football in a whole that we can vote on this kind of shit. We can vote on who wins the Heisman and who gets in the College Football Hall of Fame or who gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We can vote on all that. But the thing that separates the NFL and college football is the NFL se- like separates their champion by playing football and college football separates their champion by picking football. And they, they you know, they did it again this weekend. It's There's no difference from a bird's eye view, in my opinion, than like in 93, where they picked the national champion, the undefeated West Virginia, but Florida State ends up playing for the title, you know, and in 01, being on a team that I thought got screwed out of an opportunity to play. Oregon also got screwed that year. This year, or 97, where Michigan and Nebraska split the national title. Nebraska went and played Peyton Manning's Tennessee team and killed them. Michigan went and played Washington State. Probably just should have played Michigan against Nebraska, but because of bowl affiliations and bullshit, they couldn't do it. So <clears throat> college football consistently picks their national champion rather than plays for it. And I, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's definitely not the way I would do things. All right. Well, with 50 touchdowns on the season, Daniels etched his name as one of only five players in the SEC history to accomplish that feat alongside Burrow, Tim Tebow, Cam Newton, Bryce Young, all of whom are named Heisman Trophy winners. Honestly, congratulations. I think it was a worthy feat there. I don't know where to go with this because we were just talking about Hall of Famers, and it poses an interesting question. We'll get to the, uh, the second topic here in a second, but is Joe Flacco a Hall of Famer? Yeah, we'll just flip those. Um, Joe Flacco, what he did yesterday was outstanding. To go go from the sofa to three touchdowns and leading Cleveland and now having them in a position where Stefanski, their head coach, is saying, look, he's our starter the rest of the year. I know that there's a lot of feelings about Joe Flacco out there in the world, but I just see a guy, you know, that loves football and wants to keep playing. And as an old head myself who – if my body wouldn't have given out, I would have played until my body gave out. So his body hasn't given out. He's a quarterback. Uh, and I, I respect the fact that he wants to go back and he'll play for, uh, you know, a, a practice squad salary, essentially. Mm. When, it's, when it's fucking, when they knocked, Joe Flacco was ready to answer the door and look like a younger version of himself that was out there having a really good time with the young guys and winning a football game. So I know there's a lot of people that think he suck and all this other bullshit, but I, I just see a dude who loves ball, who walked out there and played his ass off. It could have gone the other way. My expectation was for him to shit all over himself. He went out there and threw three tutties and won a game against a division leader and put Cleveland in a position where they look like they're going to have to literally fall off a cliff to not make the playoffs. 
and you're going to have a, a veteran that's won a Super Bowl MVP with a really good defense in the playoffs. I mean, I've watched Nick Foles win a Super Bowl with a really good defense and running game. So I'm not saying Cleveland can't do it, but it would be fitting uh, or can, but it would be fitting if Cleveland of all teams with everything they've gone through with that franchise, if somehow they go spend $250 million on the sexual predator that was their quarterback, they go through all these different dudes. And then all of a sudden they just peel Joe Flacco off the sofa and he's the reason they win. I mean, it's pretty cool, man. And only in the National Football League can you have a story like that. It's like the kicker dude from the, the Aubrey. Cowboys who just came out of nowhere. And you can only do that in the, in the NFL, bro. That never fucking happens in the other three major leagues. It just doesn't. Those three other leagues are freak sports. This is a grunt sport. Yeah, bro. Signed on November 20th. Okay, he crash course to offense. He looks like he's been there the whole time. Although I did hear you on JB's show earlier this morning talking about Zach Wilson throwing up really great numbers as being kind of an offhanded uh, chance of that. So we'll see if Flacco continues. He threw for 311 yards, three touchdowns, and they won 31 to 27. Look, as a Broncos fan, I hate the guy, but I'm going to give him his flowers here. He has been named the starter in Cleveland for the remainder of the season, which makes the Browns the first team since 2015, that was the Texans, to win with four different starting quarterbacks in a single season. So the continued story around the Browns is they're getting it done. And Flacco also bought his 100th win. I still think it's up in the air whether or not he has a Hall of Fame career, but I might be a little bit biased in that fact. Which one that cannot be argued would be Patrick Mahomes. But listen, the Chiefs were left out a second week in a row. They failed uh, to really make it happen at the end of the game. But now it looks like the tide has turned for Andy Reid and company because the most recent penalty wiped out an almost 50-yard touchdown. And after the game, Patrick Mahomes was um, livid. He lit up the handshake, uh, the sideline, the post-game pre press conference. And his meltdown was pretty epic because we don't normally see – Patrick Mahomes go off in this way. He was whining to anybody who would listen. And his frustrations were aired directly towards a call that took away a really fun play. And to me, that seemed really childish. Andy Reid also admitted that contrary to many other times in his career, the refs didn't warn him about the trans transgression prior to it happening. So basically, the Chiefs were not given the grace that they're normally given. To see Mahomes break in this way, to break down is badly. There's a lot of drop passes. There's a slew of receivers that he can't trust right now. And the AFC top West spot is in jeopardy. Is Patrick Mahomes finally cracking under the pressure? Well, I mean, it, it definitely seems to me like he's got a skewed perspective on how this works. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and the rest of Kansas City, there's fucking rules. This is not dumb. You, you can't just go out there and rewrite the rule book because it suits you. That fucking, why aren't you yelling at Tony? Tony's offsides. He's the one that screwed the play up. Very much so offsides. I mean, bro, you're standing offsides. If they don't call it, it's just another circumstance where Kansas City is getting the call rather than going against them. Look, this is my thing here, bro. The hypocrisy of the National Football League knows no ends, but now apparently the hypocrisy of the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid also knows no ends. You can't have the benefit of a call go for you last year of the Super Bowl with Bradbury and the hold on Juju Smith-Schuster and everything that happened there, and then come out and attack the refs here when it goes against you. I mean, you sound like a fucking idiot. So 
you know, for Mahomes to go up to Josh Allen afterwards instead of saying great game, it's not the worst call I've ever fucking seen, blah, 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 blah. Well, why aren't you backing Tony up then? Why don't you stop, walk over to him, and go back up, you're off sides. Like, it just seems to me like Kansas City doesn't want to play by the rules, and they love it when everybody else, you know, does something to them, and they can all of a sudden be in a position where they can point and be like, look, we're the – we're the victim here, but when they're the perpetrator, all of a sudden the NFL's wrong and people can't, and the call's embarrassing. What's embarrassing is you not understanding the fucking rules and your receiver's consistently letting you down, and you know, Kansas City's turned into a, a, a fucking soap opera where there's more talk about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and all this other bullshit than the actual game. I just feel like there's a definite disconnect, and it all goes full circle with me, Bree. And everybody in the chat, you can tell me tell me how you feel about this, but when Matt Nagy, who I think is an apologist and a terrible coach, and a guy who's going to bend over backwards to make sure that Nat, that Mahomes and everybody are happy, when he's your OC and he's your voice in between the head coach and your, your superstar quarterback, not Eric the enemy, you're going to get shit like this. You're going to get drop passes and missed assignments and guys not knowing where to line up and people doing things wrong and off-sides penalties that somehow are – the ref's fault, not the player's fault. I don't think that this shit would be happening under EB. He would be persecuting these guys if they did stupid shit like this. So, you know, careful what you wish for. When you get rid of an authoritative hammer that had everybody in line and all you did was win, 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 and you replace it with a guy who you know, arguably, in my opinion, is, is, is a very average to below average play caller and coach at that position, I think this is what you get. You get average to below average play. And then you have this reaction that's unwarranted. The ref didn't do anything wrong, Pat. Back your fucking receiver up. Ask them to catch the ball. Let's make sure everybody's actually focused on what they need to focus on in Kansas City to win another Super Bowl. If they have to go on the road, which it looks like they're going to have to, uh, I don't think Kansas City makes it out of a division now. This is not a mentally tough team. Uh, it shows that they'd be more comfortable running their tricksy cutesy plays and then complaining about how it didn't work out rather than trying to they're, I mean, they're they pretty, cutesy. it's a little cutesy that merry-go-round from last cutesy. season made me a little sick do not put that one on tricksy, the t-shirt cutesy. of all the things cutesy, i say in kansas city no it's good we're roasting them this is good <laughs> i like this we are um I don't like Patrick Mahomes. And in fact, my favorite thing is to post the confused and confuzzled face after they lost the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, because that's my favorite moment in recent sports history, other than Super Bowl 50. We're going to get into the playoff picture now in the NFL as we continue to talk about where Kansas City sits right now. Uh, let me just remove this real quick. And the AFC side of this break is Call what stands out to you the most? Is it the Ravens at the top? Well, it's not necessarily the top of it. It's how long the fucking list is. <laughs> I mean, if you just look, all we're showing right there is the top seven. But if you go past the Colts, okay, and it's impossible because we don't have a fucking... I'll go to the bubble. I'll go, I'll go to the bubble. Listen to this, folks. Okay, this is fucking big time here. Baltimore is the one at 10 and 3. Miami's 9 and 3. Kansas City's the 3 at 8 and 5. Jacksonville's the 4 at 8 and 5. Cleveland's the 5 at 8 and 5. Pittsburgh's the 7 and 6. And India's 7 and 6. They're, six, they're both the 6 and 7. I don't think either of those teams get in. But I think the quarterback play is going to hold them back as they advance. After that, Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo are all 7 and 6. So 
that is half of the AFC essentially that are over 500 and all fighting for for four spots. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the, the top of the divisions are kind of secure. Kansas City, there's blood in the water there. I think the North and the East, those two teams, Baltimore and Miami, are going to host playoff games. But if you're Jacksonville or you're Kansas City, there's blood in the water behind you. And there's teams chasing your ass down. You know, Houston's a game out. Denver's a game out. You know, Buffalo is only they're two games out of Miami, but I don't think that they can make that 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 jump. But Buffalo on the road is a really motivated team that we've seen go all the way to the AFC title game before. So mm-hmm. maybe they need that seven-two matchup. If you're Miami, do you really want to see the Bills in the seventh seed in the opening round of playoffs on the road? No, you don't. So I think that the opportunity here for some of these teams, i.e. the Denver Broncos, as we transition into them here to finish out today's show, the Broncos, they they travel because of their defense, the ability to run the football, although it's not it's not like consistently smash mouth. When they commit to it, they do a pretty good job rotating in the backs and making sure that the offense flank and lean. Um I think that the, that the NFC is what it is. I think it's extremely top-heavy. I think that the, either Dallas, the Eagles, or San Francisco are going to make it out of the NFC. Who did you have at the top of your list prior to the season starting? Uh, NFC-wise or AFC-wise? Let's do AFC. I, my pick at the beginning of the season for the Super Bowl was San Francisco and Baltimore. Oh. So I, I really liked Baltimore this year. I thought they were a quality team. I thought they would finish second in their division behind Pittsburgh. Uh, but I... Again, I you know them winning it is not surprising with Pittsburgh's struggles at quarterback. I, Cleveland is scary because they can play defense the way they can, but they're going to have to go on the road, and their quarterback probably hold them back in the long run. I'm still going to stick with San Francisco, Baltimore. I think it could be a great generationally great Super Bowl. Uh, the first one they played in New Orleans, remember the lights went out on the Kobe Jones kickoff return, and it was a great crazy ass game, but a good one. Um, when you're looking at the NFC, it's top heavy. The, the Cowboys sure did look good last night, but I can't go with Dallas in the playoffs until they prove me wrong and prove themselves right because they've had so many circumstances where they're just bad under the lights. Um, but I'm going to go with San Francisco in the NFC, and I'm going to go with Baltimore in the AFC, even, both, even though Baltimore has shown the ability to kind of screw it up a little bit. They did win a big one yesterday in overtime, 37-31 against the Rams. So... Well, I, can I can I go in a different direction here? Because want. I want to talk about the injuries and how they're impacting a lot of this. Because as you said, it is a little, um, I guess, shocking to see some of uh, these teams fall down as far as they've done, specifically the Bengals. I wanted to highlight that. The Texans are now going to be way on the bubble with C.J. Stroud going down. Um, and then there's just a bevy of other injuries. Now Justin Herbert is hurt with a finger injury. It is broken, so I don't know whether or not we'll see him back in Geno Smith with a groin injury, seeing Drew Locke Owen. Uh, don't know how long he'll play. I don't know if it'll be long term. Uh, Daniel Jones for a while there completely took the Giants out of any sort of contention. I'm not saying they would have been contenders, but obviously your Jets being impacted by Aaron Rodgers going down. The list goes on and on and on, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down for any of these teams. Have, have any of the ones who have fallen down the rankings um had any sort of uh chance to stay in it absolutely if you make the tournament regardless of how you get in you have an opportunity like that's the entire thing that everybody talks about in the national football league is 
How in the hell did we make the tournament? How do we get in to the tourney so we can go win a Super Bowl? So even if a team is struggling right now, or even if a team is excelling right now, or they're kind of mid, you know, Denver lost last week, but won this week. Houston won last week and then went to the Jets and shit on themselves and lost yesterday. So it's the it's a constant cycle of how you handle the 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 amount of winning that you're doing and are you going to let the sugar rot your teeth or is the adversity going to beat you down or build you? So I think that these teams are figuring out a lot about themselves right now. And that's a good thing. Um, when you, you're also, there's blood in the water. If you're, if you're one of these squads that's looking for an opportunity to have something against Kansas city to beat them, well, yesterday showed you something that they struggle with. They're very emotional. They're not really focused on football all the time. There's a massive disconnect in the room between what's legal and what's not. They think that the rules should be catered to them. Well, that's one circumstance of a team who has a red flag that we can use against them. So when you're, when you're looking like the, the Broncos, the Broncos have a lot of shit that they don't do great. But they do a lot of things really, really well. And when we move into the playoff picture here, as they figure out where they're going to be seated, because I do think they're a playoff team. Even if they win only, if they win three of their next four, I don't see how you keep them out. They go to Detroit Saturday night. I thought it was a Sunday night game. It's a Saturday night game. That gives them an extra day off. They can watch their next opponent on Sunday. They're not, you know, they're, they're traveling. They're home when other teams are traveling. It gives them a little bit of an opportunity to recover a little bit have an extra day off. So I think that that's a massive indicator for them. Can they go on the road and win a game that no one's going to pick them to win? Because everybody's going to say the same thing we just said. They can lose one of the next four and still make the playoffs. So my thing with the Broncos now is, are you going to, is that going to be the okay for you to go lose a game or the reason you go win the next four? Because I'm telling you that defense is real, real good. The defense is really good. It's honestly the most affirming fact when you watch these Broncos games. We're going to talk about their playoff chances, and then we'll answer a couple of questions as I see them rolling in. Uh, Justin Herbert, before going out of the game with that broken finger, was sacked four times. He was hit six times uh, during the first six possessions, and his teammates repeatedly were missing their blocks against the Denver's pass rushers. Vance Joseph has not only turned this defense around, he's exceeding expectations in Denver and deserves assistant coach of the year for his efforts at this point. Uh, even against Backup Easton Stick. Uh, that sounds like a really made up name. The Broncos were able to do what they do best, and that's hold teams to the under. Cortland Sutton continues to add to his highlight reel a nonchalant one armed reel in while he was being held in a casual sideline one handed grab. Honestly, the Broncos' offense should continue to be fuck it. Cortland Sutton is down there somewhere. And that's what they're running right now. Now, Matt, you were a little bit of a Cortland Sutton doubter to start this season. Yeah. True or not true? Oh, totally true. He's shown he's I'm all glad to eat crow when I'm wrong. But at the same time, he really struggled the last couple of years and was not the player that he should have been. Uh, whether it was knee injuries or fat rust or the system or whatever, uh, he wasn't. Uh, and now he is. I mean, he's the he's bona fide number one receiver. They need to make sure that he stays here. They got to get rid of soft bones. Jerry Judy's got to go. That guy is a fucking cancer. I mean, I, I'm sorry, but I just I can't get behind Tennessee's killing me. Um, but Sutton is the kind of guy you want to build around. He's figured it out. Uh, he's definitely adopted that leadership role, and it, it fits him well. Um, you know, the, the fact that Judy 
and suck together are not great. Compliment for 14. We find it in free agency or not. I still think that we can we can do that. And once you do that, I think it's over. Then you have a Metcalf, Tyler Lockett kind of situation with Russ uh, in Denver. So, you know, one thing I definitely want to talk about uh, with you here a little bit before we just talk about the game is who do you think won the Russell Wilson, Geno Smith trade? Like, I feel like it's a loaded a question. A year and a half later, just right off the bat, this I, it is a loaded question. That's why I'm asking it, and I just want to. Denver or Seattle, and then we're going to talk about this later, obviously, and tease it. Do you think that Denver won this trade a year and a half into it? No, because it took a year and a half to get to that point. And so the the cost, uh, the return on investment hasn't been there yet. Um, I think that the way the trade uh, picks have worked themselves out thus far have not really equated to the greatest move, but had the Broncos not made that move, what other direction are they going in? What else would have been serviceable? Okay, and then hoping that that works out, hope, hoping that that has somehow yielded better results than where they're at right now, because it's really hard in 2023 to doubt going from that one in five record to where they're at now that they haven't found a way to turn it around. I don't think it's a long term solution. I don't think the team can uh, batten down any further with what they presently have on the roster. And it's going to make a couple of signings coming up here in free agency a little bit more rough for them to, it's going to, have to negotiate. absolutely a renegotiation and but I don't know and this is just me not having an answer for this is if I dig my heels into thinking that Russell Wilson isn't back next season where do they go from here are they picking up a late round quarterback because they don't have the draft picks in order to go after a top one well I would be drafting someone high if I'm Denver I would be saying second or third round the same way Russ was a third rounder if Bo Nix is sitting there in the second round or Penix is sitting there in the third I'm taking their ass and I'm going to develop them behind a, a good bet and then Russ for a year or two and then give them the keys. So, you know, that's, that's on Sean Payton to figure out what kind of quarterback he wants for the future because Russ is the present, but he's not the future of this franchise. Well, you've seen him speak up in doubt of what Russell Wilson is seeing there out on the field. How do you think Sean Payton feels about Russell Wilson? I think Sean Payton respects the fact that Russ is trying to do what he asked him to do and trying to fit the scheme the way that he wants him to. I think he respects the fact that he's a hard worker and he's done, they sacrificed all this shit to get to this point this year. And without him, they probably wouldn't be in the position they're in. Uh, you know, everything kind of works cohesively here. But I also think that there's a lot of missed opportunities and missed throws and touchdowns that are off the board. And I think Coach Payton looks at it and goes, if I had a quarterback that could do all of this stuff, not just some of it, we would be a 30-point-a-game scoring offense, and we would be at the top of the league because he he chops people up when he finds their weaknesses, period. So that's one of the, the things about Sean Payton that I love so much. So I, I personally think that this is a double-edged sword. One edge, you can keep Russ. You renegotiate his contracts. So you can go sign other players. If he won't do it, he's cut because that shows you where his head and, and mind frames at anyway. Uh, or, or you can get rid of Russ and you can go a different direction and try and find a bridge quarterback in the, in, in, in the free agent market and then draft somebody and go that route. But again, if you already got your bridge quarterback on the roster in Russell Wilson, why wouldn't you just draft somebody second, third round? Cause I think they're going to have the capital to do that uh, with everybody else playing at the level they're playing at build around them. Uh, and then you, you've got an opportunity to say, okay, we got a young guy that's pretty good. 
but we've also got this older guy that's being pushed that's also figured it out. It's a good problem to have. You know, most of the time when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, but I don't think that's the circumstance here. Draft and development in a quarterback. Who would have thought? Uh, I don't know if that's the direction. I really don't know where they're going to go after this. They may uh, be just that's, that's interesting enough. Draft and development, just like you said, is the route that needs to be taken in order for them to get what they want. That said, Coach Payton had a great, unbelievably successful tenure with with uh, Drew Brees, who they signed in free agency. So it's about who you bring in, not necessarily how they get brought. Um, and I, I will say this: the Denver Broncos sitting at seven and six, where they are right now, the entire season in front of them. Okay, they've got four huge games. If Russell Wilson wants to be the quarterback here in the future and he wants people to rally around him the way that they are right now, but they're doing it, you know, a little bit of hesitation, like what if this happens, this could happen, not just full-fledged investment. I'm telling you, if he figures out a way to get this team in the playoffs and they win a playoff game or something or two and they push, the Broncos country is going to go nuts. They're going to fall in love with this guy the way that they should. And then you're going to have a real problem because what do you do there? You can't say that they didn't get better and they didn't win playoff games, but at the same time, there's missed opportunities on tape all over the place. It's littered with missed opportunities. So do you replace the guy that took you to the party? I mean, shit, man, the last time I saw that, that was Jake Plummer, Jake Cutler, and that didn't work. That didn't work at all. I mean, Jake Plummer should have been the quarterback here for 10 years. They replaced him with old drunk Jay. And that, that guy couldn't fucking tie his shoes with an instruction manual. So, you know, it's just it's, sometimes you've got to, you got to, you know, you got to dance with the date that brought you. You got to ride the horse that brought you here. You can't just consistently just keep shuffling them in and out. And I think that right now, with, with everything Russell's been through to get to this point and everything that's in front of him, if you motivate him correctly and you push him right and you, you do it with a coach, that has clout and the ability to stand up for what he believes, I think we could have something potentially here that's pretty good. I like the way that you put the nail in that coffin and only hypothetically because the idea here is the Broncos continue to go. They need to win out against the Lions, the Chargers, and the Raiders, although they could drop uh, – they could fundamentally drop the Lions game and have a chance at this. They're – what are you highlighting? Anyways – Quit touching buttons. That's not your job. On that note, I'm ending this stream so we can get on out of here. But we'll be back tomorrow. And I know that you all want that Buffs talk. So we'll talk about it on Tuesday's show. We'll talk about all the new commits that are coming in. Matt's uh, realization on realization. Uh, I don't know what word I was trying to to use. Well, look, I've got a phone call today with Phil Lillard, the new offensive line coach to you to talk about guys that they brought in, how they're doing this, how to facilitate and help him through, you know, the the the, the framework of what they're building up in Boulder. Phil went to Fountain Fort Carson High School out here uh, where Lincoln Fahapola Jr. goes. He played for Co- Coach Brettenbaugh down at, at Oklahoma, who I love. So there's a lot of a lot of crossover there. I'm really excited about the guys they brought in. We'll talk about all the tomorrow's all bust the whole time. Uh, Deacon Schmidt, the big tackle up Windsor High School, sophomore offensive lineman, just got his first offer this morning. Uh, so I just got off the phone with his mother, and they're obviously super excited. Uh, Colorado State offered him for anybody that wants to get mad at me for 
having a kid get off by CSU. I think it's pretty cool. Congratulations, Deacon. Um, and then, you know, as we go through the week here, we don't have a show on Wednesday. On Thursday, we have uh, the great Jeremy Bloom, who I played with in Colorado, who is, you know, obviously interwoven in the community and the fabric of what it means to be a buff. He'll be on the show on Thursday to talk shop and recruiting and NIL and the collective and all this other really cool shit that's going on in Boulder. Uh, and, you know, then we'll keep the party going as we get through the week. Uh, and Bree and I will be answering any and all questions. If you have questions tomorrow, make sure you comment, you like, you subscribe. Uh, and then come with that heat tomorrow when we talk about the bus. Um, but I'm telling you, the minute you come at me and you start disrespectful, it's not going to end well for you. So uh, we'll just put that out there, to say the least. Daryl Hopkins says this is his favorite podcast. Make it your favorite podcast by liking the stream, Appreciate subscribing, you, hitting the notifications there. Kenny Stat says, what's up, 6-0? And then he said, oh, Bree's here too. Hi, Bree. LOL. <laughs> Hilarious. I'm out of here. We'll see you tomorrow. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Yes.